Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Butler Running Show. A show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Butler Running Show is hosted by a couple on the run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Partner Running Show on this uh, 24th or 23rd of February 2015. I'm Andrew O'Brien and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my wonderful co-host Sue. How are you going, Sue? I am very well after a lovely weekend of running and I suppose a lovely week of running up on the Gold Coast in Queensland as Cyclone Marcia bore down on the uh, northern part of the state. We got the tail end, I suppose you would call it, but still great running up on the Gold Coast. Yes, and so on on the, our show today, we are going to focus in on, I suppose, common, I was going to say popular, but they're not really popular because they're not popular something you kind of like, yeah, but common no. common training mistakes that uh, people make, and I think that's fair to say that over the years, I've made them all, as was most things you can do wrong, I've usually done it, plus more. Um, yeah, 15, uh, we're going to look at 15 uh, running or training mistakes, and more importantly, a little bit of an insight into why they're mistakes, why, what's the downside of why you, why you might want to avoid them, and of course, most importantly, how to avoid them. So that's our feature topic for the day. We're going to have a, a bit of a look at the Wangaratta uh, running festival, specifically uh, the marathon, which which we ran on the weekend. A bit of a quick preview for the Dendi Park running festival, which is uh, our most close to home event. So we, we need to give that a bit of a, a plug. And it's coming up this weekend. And a bit of news, regular segments. Ask Sue. We'll have a look at uh, the week ahead, and that'll be it. That'll be our hour that we uh, we spend. Yes, chatting about running and running events around um, the world. Now, it's not quite news, but uh, worthy of a mention. Um, for people who, who aren't aware, which I think probably most of our listeners in terms of the, our local precinct, uh, we, we live near near the beach in Melbourne and there's a bike tra- bike path, paved, uh, concreted or whatever the material is, bike path that goes basically from just near our house all the way into the city. Uh, it's a very suburban, built-up area. And uh, we noticed uh, somebody we, inter- we interviewed, uh, James, we interviewed him oh, probably 18 months ago. Anyway, posted a picture on the weekend of a tiger snake uh, oh. crossing the bike path in downtown Brighton, which is probably about 6K run from our house, but it's a very, very suburban, not the sort of place we expect to see tiger snakes. So it's kind of like not really the big news of the week. It's kind of a bit of a local, personal kind of thing. But a bit strange when, when uh, you are seeing a tiger snake in downtown Melbourne. Oh, yeah. And look, a lot of big running groups come and use this trail for training uh, on the weekends over, well, summer months, uh, winter months, whatever. Uh, So it's not just perhaps even local residents that need to be on the lookout. These snakes are toxic. They are poisonous. And if you do happen to get bitten, you need to seek medical attention straight away. Um, So they're not just tiny little snakes they they can pack a punch um and as i said like a lot of runners from around the melbourne metropolitan area come to run along this trail over weekends and it is something as an urban dweller that gee we're not really 
used to dealing with this, but this is the second sighting in our area of tiger snakes. The, the interesting one about this one is the, the location. Uh, one of the, I suppose, iconic uh, locations or sites for Melbourne is the bathing boxes, and the local government has, in the last probably 12 months, has done quite a bit to um, signpost the trail from the local railway station to where the the bathing boxes are and where this snake was was basically it looked like it had come up the, the beach path from checking out the bathing boxes and uh, maybe it was on its way to get a train to go and have a look at you know the art centre or something else. So all of the tourists, tourists <laughs> getting off the uh, getting off the train. So maybe it isn't just Melbourne residents that need to be aware of this. It's the greater community, the Australian population, and the international population need to be on the lookout I, for I tiger think, snakes. I think when you when you're out in the country, you kind of that's where snakes live, and you expect that. Yeah. But when you're in downtown uh, suburban Melbourne, um, yeah, a bit of a concern for for kids and dogs, dogs and. Yeah. I suppose that if there's a good news, the good news is for people like us, we no longer have to go out to the outer-lying areas <laughs> into the country to practice our snake spotting. We can do that on the home trail. So does it mean we have to carry our uh, snake bandages <laughs> when we go out for weekend runs? I mean, I'm not sure if we're going to go that quite that far, but at least the good news is that if you do get bitten, you're not far from help and a hospital. And a hospital, that, indeed. That, that's one po positive part of it. All right, on with the show. Over the shoulder. Quick review of last weekend's running. Well, I suppose I do have the results from the Wangaratta Marathon, and we're going to just talk about that after the news. But uh, just from a result perspective, about 200 in the marathon, won by Cameron Hall in a time of two hours and 40 minutes. And in the, the women's event, Kelly Ann Very won the women's section in uh, three hours and two minutes. And I will just mention that Lavinia Petri, aged 71, set a world record for the 70-plus age group in this marathon. And the time of 3 hours and 38 minutes was pretty slick. Lavinia said that she hadn't run a marathon for five years, so pretty impressed that time. And I did see her out on the course, and wow, she was moving much more sprightlier than you would have expected any 70, maybe even even any 60-year-old to be moving, that's for sure. But uh, that was one of the running events on the weekend. Now, the other one that uh, has, uh, has captured the attention and that North Korea has banned foreign runners from the marathon in April. Um, they are citing Ebola fears as being the reason. Um, now, North Korea is of thousands of kilometres from the Ebola outbreak centre in West Africa. But its borders have actually been closed to foreign tourists since October. And a strict 21-day quarantine is imposed on any foreign aid worker or diplomat coming to the country. And they are pretty much restricted to their compounds once they are there. Now, this restriction is for uh, foreign runners, both amateur and professional. And for the first time, Foreigners were running in the um, Pyongyang Marathon last year. So it was, a, it was a bit of a tourist attraction to go into this country to check it out. And a couple of tour groups had, an expect, had expected over 500 runners. They had them listed down, paid deposits, ready to run in this event in April. So that has now caused a bit of conjecture and with a lot of disappointment and, of course, refunds and hoping that uh, tour groups don't go under with this type of banning. Um, 
seemingly it is related to the Ebola out outbreak rather than any other um, concerns that the foreign government of North Korea might have. Um, so just because they already have these restrictions in place and it's now just extended to the marathon as well. Uh, first country that's really taken such strict measures trying to keep the Ebola virus out of their borders. Other events on the weekend, well, I suppose the biggest was the Tokyo Marathon. And this is one of the World Marathon Majors. And one by... Um, Ethiopian Endershaw Negese in a time of two hours and six, mar six minutes and ironically he is still hoping to qualify for the Ethiopian World Championship team with a time of two hours and six minutes. It just seems amazing. So those World Championships are in Beijing between August the 22nd and 30th. Um, cold weather, slight rain, uh, Behani Dabiba in won the female section again from Ethiopia in a time of 2 hours and 23 minutes. Now some 36,000 runners participated in this event including um, Runner Mike was out there as well and not the most ideal conditions but I think Mike would agree uh, and our friend Jane Sturziker who was in Kyoto that was freezing not quite as cold. A lot of security measures in place. There had been terrorist threats with this event and uh, some 6,000 police lined the marathon course as well as a lot of police running in amongst the, the runners actually participating in the event with head cams just trying to capture any footage that they thought might be suspicious along the way. So not only were the runners being protected or there were new security measures in place, there were also new drug testing protocols um, in place as well, following the number of elite athletes that are being caught, I suppose is the word, using various enhancements. So they weren't going to reveal what those new drug testing measures were, but basically they have put new drug testing protocols in place. And along those lines, yet another Kenyan female runner has been banned for two years. And this is not one of the top tier marathon major winners, but sort of like the next level down, the bronze label events or even the silver gold label running events, winner has been pinged with this. Um, a couple of marathons in the US were cancelled due to horrendous weather and again, the snow just one of those things that we don't encounter in Australia banning events or uh, rather cancelling events but in the US it has been a big snowdown. The Seville Marathon in Spain, uh, one of those events that's sort of about a middle tier bronze label event, 11,500 runners uh, run, won by Lawrence Jeromo of Kenya in 2009 and Portuguese Filomena Costa in 2028. Now, just apart from news, I suppose an interesting article that was taking a bit of a spin around the news circuits was that two elements, not enough running is bad for your health and too much running is bad for your health. The optimal amount is 150 minutes of gentle exercise a week plus 75 minutes of vigorous running. Any more than that and you are damaging your health, any less than that and you are also damaging your health. So somewhere within that range is 
the optimum. Uh, the survey encompassed 55,000 people aged between 18 and 100 over a 15-year span. And it found that runners lived on average three years longer than non-runners, but if you start to exceed the limits that they found as the guidelines, then you start to damage your health. So if you are exercising for more than two, two hours of intense or high intensity exercise running uh, a week, then you start to overload your heart and get micro stretching and micro tears. Now after years of this, it's almost like a repetitive injury strain. And MRI of veteran runners' hearts showed three times the incidence of the normal person's body um, with heart scarring. And heart scarring leads to mild coronary arteriosclerosis or thickening of the arteries, which ultimately can kill you. So the idea being that if you run too fast, too far, or too long, it is not good. And uh, they were the recommendations from this rather extensive study that's been taking place over the last few years. So it's something to bear in mind of how intensely. And having had my father who uh, damaged his heart with um, athlete's heart by training too much, too intensely, and uh, all of that that goes with it and required a pacemaker to try and regulate his heart rhythm due to straining of the heart. Um, maybe there is some something in that for maybe genetic predisposition that you can if damage your heart if your heart's not strong enough to cope with that. The, uh, the other one I want to add was uh, not so much news, but an interesting article that uh, was published in the Wall Street Journal on, um, I think their title was Ease Up on the Water During That Marathon. Ah, okay. Um, and, I, and I think often that a lot of these um, topics, they get sort of coverage through some of the running scientific sort of journals and, and articles, and then they can make it into things like Runner's World and whatever else, and then they sort of get out into more mainstream. And, and the, um, I think both the Wall Street Journal and the, the New, New York Times often publish some quite sort of well-researched and relevant running articles, and I think this is a case where they're sort of, um, for keen runners who've read the other things, this is going to just reinforce a lot of the stuff that they have seen. But for people who, who want to go straight to a really good sort of summary or a new tool, just get a reminder, this Wall Street Journal article is quite good. And one of the things, it's, one of the things that it says, which I hadn't kind of really picked up elsewhere, um, was uh, one of the studies that uh, Professor Tim Noakes ha had referred to. And it was actually a study of 643 runners in uh, a, a marathon in France. And the men and women who finished with faster times lost a higher percentage of their body weight during the event uh, than the slower people. And so it's kind of when, when you see it like that in the way they make sense of it, it's a bit like stating the obvious. But if you don't overhydrate or drink too much during the race, you lose more weight during the race, you're lighter, therefore it's easier. If you're lighter, you can run faster. And that, that's one of the things they're suggesting here is that, that when people are, if you hear about don't overhydrate because you can lead to hypotremia, whatever the, the yeah, correct phrase is, and, yep. and you can die from that. Uh, and so we think don't drink is because we don't want to damage yourself in that way. But don't over drink because it's more, more to carry 
more weight to carry slows you down. So it's it's not just you know, saving your life is, is a reason to be careful about how much you drink. And so it comes back to this notion of drinking to thirst um, rather than you know, drinking too much. So. so on the other side, not drinking enough is something that runners have to be wary of too. Though. Sure, they're not, I'm not suggesting mm. you don't drink enough for what the, what they do say and you know the, the very few people get in trouble for under drinking but you can die from over drinking so it's much more common that people over than under so mm. in terms of getting in trouble so. yes yes anyway good article I posted on the partner running Facebook page the link to that if you want to check that out all right on with the show Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page? Take it away, Sue. A lot of people believe that they can't run due to injuries, the fact that they don't. Uh, feel as though they've got the right body shape for running or maybe they are carrying too much weight to get started running. But the question that I was asked during the week was, can walking help me lose weight? Can walking build up my fitness? Because I can't run, whether it's an old injury, uh, whether it is something about their, their current body weight or shape or mass. And they just wanted to know, well, is walking quite an effective way of helping me lose weight? And Allied to that, of course, can it help me improve my fitness? Can it help me with muscle tone and all of the other factors that we know more intensive exercise can help with? Well, a lot of people struggle to find time to exercise full stop, whether it's work, the, t the hours that they work, and when they do have time available to exercise, whether it's their commitments to their family or kids, or whether it's other personal commitments to hobbies, to pastimes, to other groups that they're members of. And interestingly, walking is one of those activities that you can fit in uh, for smaller, smaller bursts of time and not requiring you necessarily to change clothing, but just to have a solid pair of walking shoes to exercise in. And this current study that's come out and suggested that 150 minutes of gentle exercise per week is the optimal got people thinking about walking as a way of achieving that. So rather than running, they're thinking about, well, do a brisk walk instead. Uh, and maybe if I break that into five 30-minute blocks, that's going to be easier for me trying to go out for, if I can only run for 10 minutes, uh, if I'm not able to find the time to get changed and, and really set myself up for a, an intense exercise boost, maybe I'm better off with some moderate and more gentle. Look, walking is a great way to start building your fitness. That would be my comment on this. It's actually the most popular exercise uh, activity for both men and women of all ages. And look, it does burn calories, obviously not as much as a more intense exercise method. It does 
stimulate your cardiovascular system. It does tone your muscles. You're out there walking, using your leg muscles. And look, it's great for mental health in a way too, particularly if you can get out into a green area to do your walk. Surveys have shown that getting out into nature for your walk is going to give you a much better mental state of health than uh, just an urban walk, for example. And allied to that then, we sleep better, we feel a little bit better as well. Um, brisk walk for the average body weight, average, average shape, about 90 calories per minute you can burn up if you are walking very briskly. So it does strengthen bones because you're weight bearing. It does boost your muscle power if you're walking vigorously as well. So there's a great reason to add in some walking. You could also find it easier to incorporate into your daily routine by putting in some extra walks to get to the train station or get to public transport, get off a stop earlier than yours if you are catching public transport. You could go out for a walk at lunch without getting changed into athletic clothing. You could walk the dog, you could walk to the shops. Um, there are other things about, you know, maybe if you've got dogs, if you've got prams, it's easier to go out walking than perhaps go out running. And of course, with walking, it's kind of easier to break it into three 10-minute blocks if you haven't got that time. So it can be a really good way of getting some exercise into your routine if you feel you've got no time, which a lot of people say they have no time. As with running, well, if you can get good shoes that have got arch support that support your feet, that's going to be better than going out in uh, unsupportive footwear as well. And if you start to think about engaging your core muscles, you can build up some stronger muscle strength rather than just walking and not thinking about the way that you're walking too. Um, proper walking shoes, interestingly, have a notch at the back for Achilles tendon flexibility because we really do use a range of movement landing heel toe as we walk. A couple of things that we do need to think about if we're looking for good walking shoes, and this is just a recommendation, that little Achilles notch at the back, a drop to allow the Achilles to move, and wiggle room for toes because your feet will probably spread a little bit or swell if you're walking, particularly 30 minutes or longer, and a flexible sole to allow your foot to move freely rather than restrict movement. And if you're starting to get bored with your walking and walking is your chief form of exercise and your way of boosting your cardiovascular strength, think about changing locations for your walk. So maybe it is going to a new park, go to a new beach path to walk, perhaps use a pedometer or an app to monitor your progress and that can give you some interesting statistics to stimulate your mind as you walk too. Perhaps walking with friends to get some great conversation happening perhaps join a bushwalking club or even a walking group in your local area to find other people to walk with. Um, if you haven't got a dog yourself, maybe if you've got a friend or a neighbour uh, that might be struggling to find time to walk with their dog, maybe borrow the dog, go for a walk. Walking is similar to running in if you are really trying to undertake a fitness training program and you have not been exercising, just get that routine check from your doctor to check that your body is fine to begin any sort of exercise program. And look, whilst walking is not as strenuous, obviously, as running, there is a reason to consider it a weight part of a weight loss program. It's also a great supplement for runners to add in a day of walking, uh, particularly if they are finding that they're 
struggling with overuse injuries, go back to walking and just put in a few walking sessions into your running training. And if you're starting an exercise program, walking is a great way to start, build up some endurance and then maybe try running, see if your body can accept that. So don't neglect walking. It is a great fitness regime and it can be a part of any exercise program for experienced and inexperienced runners. That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue, please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at partnerrunning.com. for a bit of a review and preview uh, on the Partner mm-hmm. Running Show. First of all, let's uh, do a quick recap of the Wangaratta Running Festival, which was held in Wangaratta, which is a regional city, northeast Victoria, about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Melbourne Airport, a bit longer from the city. And um, I think it was in its fifth year, third year, when they've included the marathon and the festival, and numbers are up. It was a great weekend of running. Lots of running groups, lots of locals, lots of city people, and uh, a fine time was had by all. What was your take on it? Look, I think this event has got a great community spirit, and clearly the local Wangaratta community really gets behind it with lots of school groups and family groups out there. And I think that's what really stands out for me with this event is that there seems to be a real community spirit. We saw a lot of runners that we know from other events, from the Melbourne metropolitan area, travelling to Wangaratta. But not only just travelling as solo runners, but a lot of family groups going up with the kids' events. It was really popular for um, groups such as the TXR runners to take up their whole family. And the kids run in those shorter distance events, get a great medal, and the older parents run in the different distances the 10k the half marathon the 5k marathon marathon the whole thing and yeah and set up little base camps and all that sort of thing really conducive so i think there was a uh a 2k mm, for 2k kids. for the kids um i think then there was the five the 10 the half marathon and the marathon um a marathon course is two loops of the half marathon and Mostly on, I'd say you call it bike trail, mostly yep. in the, under shade next to the river and the creek and, and uh, whatever. So very pleasant scenery, lots of shade, as I said. And uh, it's, it's probably the only um, question mark that you can put over this event is that in February it can uh, be a bit warm in northeast Victoria. And uh, as I said, we went off the 6.30 start for yep. the marathon. And I just having a look at my uh, moves count uh, chart in terms of the, the temperature for the day so it's telling me that um, I think we got down to about 20, 20 22.9 I think um, at around just before 7 o'clock in the morning so it sort of shows me that we were starting at about it was about 25 went down to about 22 maybe that was not 100% accurate, but down to 22.9, and then and then as the day went on, I think we uh, sort of peaked at 32.3 um, at at about 10 
quarter past 10, 10.30. So um, was heading to a warm afternoon. So getting into the sort of the, you know, sort of the high 20s and the low 30s, um, this year was probably warmer, certainly warmer than the first year that, that we did it. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's just the one thing to, to watch out for. Not a reason not to go, uh, a reason for some people to maybe go a bit slower. Or to take the option of the earlier start yes, if yeah. you are a slower runner. Um, yep. There was a 5.30 a.m. start offered, and whether that it was for technically for runners that were five hours or thereabouts, but it, uh, it definitely raised the question with that temperature getting high, and we were sort of about four-hour runners. Uh, so if you were going to take longer or closer to five hours than four, uh, why not take advantage of that earlier start and maybe then you would be finishing with us at around 31 degrees rather than potentially going into another hour later into the morning at 11.30 or so and finding that that temperature had actually picked up to about 34, 35. So other ways that you can take care of yourself perhaps. Yep. Predominantly a, a flat course mm. um, and so you know, very, very... Um, very enjoyable, very runnable. Lots of accommodation in the area, whether you want to camp, take a motel, um, either in Wangaratta or the surrounding towns. And, it's, of course, it's a great uh, district for for tourism. You can head off to Rutherglen and the wineries or up to sort of Bright and the Alpine area. So lots to see and do. And as we said, uh, a, a, a kind of a comfortable drive from Melbourne in terms of um, you know, major highway from Melbourne to Sydney. So easy driving up. So. Yep, and look, people came from interstate to run, which was great, and uh, 200 people in the marathon, which was up from about 120 last year, so big boost in marathon numbers for the event, and again, there must be a lot of people that are willing to, to take that risk <laughs> with, uh, with yep. the weather being hot. Okay, so uh, well done to everybody participating in the Wangaratta uh, Marathon, and well done to Sue for getting uh, on the podium there oh, for whoa. the... Uh, uh, the women over 40, as they say, nice little trophy, the little boot. Yes, and, a bronze uh, boot for third place. Um, very, very good for uh, for everyone involved, and congratulations to uh, Justin and Sharon, sort of the, the driving force behind. They are the, the driving force. When you're at a uh, marathon and a fun run, and uh, I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to 2000 and. Yes, and they've got a new date up uh, for that already. So if you want to put that in your calendar, it is February the 28th next year. Ooh. Mm, gone back a week. So February 28th next year. Just thought I'd put that in. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. Well, a quick preview for the Dendy Park Running Festival, which is in its uh, second year, and talk about moving back. It's gone back two weeks from last year, and it's on the first Sunday, Sunday the first of March this year, um, in Brighton in Melbourne. So about probably ten, twelve k from the city, easy to get to for Melbournians. Um, and uh, if you are coming in from out of the district, then some sort of you can pretty much stay anywhere in southeast Melbourne or the city, and uh, easy uh, driving into to the start uh, for the race. It's about a 2K loop. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a loop course in a suburban park on a gravel surface. A little bit of a rise, a little bit of a dip, uh, but certainly for all intents and purposes a relatively flat course. Something for the whole family. It's a kids race. There's a 5K, there's a 10, a half, and the marathon. And 50. And a 50K, yes. I've heard mm. that, sorry. So, um, Alter yourself. Again, one of the, uh, I suppose, the signature aspects of a Trails Plus event is it's always particularly well organised. 
um, great aid stations, great runner support, and usually a, a, a good range of prizes and giveaways and, and uh, a great community uh, sense. So get along to that one. Dendy Park is one of three in their city trails series with the um, Brimbank Park coming up at the end of April and also the Tan in August. August. And uh, I suppose not to mention, not to forget to mention, in the Mountain Series, which comprises a Maroondah Dam coming up in March, then Macedon mm-hmm. in May, and the Yuyangs in July. July. So um, you can do the series entries available if you want to do all of all six races, or the city ones, or the mountain ones, or some mixture, whatever. So go to trailsplus.com and check that out. And I uh, look forward to the Dendy Park Marathon. We couldn't run last year, Sue, because you had Yes, the... I had a stress fracture last year and ended up being on the microphone and both of us sort of volunteering and helping around the place. But, um, yeah, it'd be nice to get out on the, on the trail, so as to speak. All right. Now, on that note, it's time for our feature segment of uh, the week. Um, our feature segment for this week is... Uh, 15 oh, got myself a tongue tied here it's up 15 training mistakes and how to avoid them so um, again it's one of those things that we at no matter how experienced we are whether we're a newbie or been at it for years we can sort of um, discover new mistakes maybe you know, forget slip into some old habits or if we're starting out particularly it's you know discovering a whole new world of uh, things that you can do to or, or avoid doing to improve your running. Now, why would we want to avoid training mistakes, Sue, as a general concept? Well, training mistakes just affect our running in total, whether they can cause injury, they can cause illness, they can cause burnout, um, or they can cause lack of motivation if we don't. So they can actually ruin our running if we don't get our training right. So in terms of, uh, I think it's a great little summary, so um, getting our training right can add to our long-term enjoyment and sustainability of our running as well as our short-term improving our performance and just making it fun, making it enjoyable mm-hmm. and getting the most out of it. You know, there's nothing worse than doing a lot of work and then underperforming by doing the wrong work. So in a, in another, I suppose, context, it's, um, what's that old saying about training uh, smarter, not harder? And um, avoiding these mistakes is a good way to do that. So uh, they're kind of in a bit of an order, but not specific because we all sort of get some things right and get other things that we we don't get so well. So let's just let's just go from the order that we have sort of prepared them in our research. And the first the first uh, mistake to avoid is that of not having a training goal. Um, so no goal, and the reason that not having a goal is is probably a bad thing. What is it? It has been an impact on uh, what our motivation. Yeah, look, and our focus. Um, just we start to think, well, what are we running for? What? What? I'm just going out here, and <laughs> what? What am I actually? What am I doing? It, uh, we feel very, very uh, lost. So, so the way we avoid this this uh, common mistake is that we set some goals. Um, and often, when, when people hear goals, they they think about you know, PBs and fast times and all that sort of stuff and the, the, they may be part of your goal but it's it's quite appropriate that you're um, and, and workable that if your running goal your training goal is you know, general fitness or weight loss um, 
or it could be an event, but it doesn't have to be an event. It could be you know, to run 10K in 40 minutes or a marathon in five hours or three hours, whatever else. It, it can be all of those things, a combination of those things, but it doesn't have to be event, time, super performance. It can just be, you know, my, my goal is to get reasonable cardio fitness by running for 45 minutes three times a week for the next three months. That's it, and that's what I want to do, and that's the focus. And then once I've done that, I can refresh. Mm. And I mean, look, it also I think that that is sort of a longer term goal in a in a way. I'll say a longer term goal. But even each run that you specifically head out for, um, rather than just heading out the door, are you going to run 5k, or I'm going to go out 20 minutes, turn and come back, or I'm going to get to the X point and come back? Um, just gives a little bit of direction for your run, rather than just. I'm just going to head out the door and then come back. It, I think every run that we do, whether it is just an easy run, is where we're going to run up to the X point and then turn around and come back. Okay, so uh, immediate goal. Immediate and, goal and longer-term goal. And, and that immediate goal, I suppose, leads to, in part, the next uh, big mistake that, that people can make, and that is uh, the mistake of no training plan. Um, and often, I think people think, I'm not in for an event, therefore I don't need a training plan. And so you know, a training plan can, can come in real two formats. It can be I'm doing you know, 10 weeks, 16 weeks or eight weeks building up to this event. And that, that's kind of the training plan that I think most of us had in our head. Have in our head. But the other uh, alternative here is that you're either in an event training plan or you're in a um, either a maintenance or a conditioning training plan. So it might be in your... In your year, you might go something like two-week rest period, rest and recovery period, and then you might go to a general conditioning for four or eight weeks, and then you might you know, train for, say, 10 weeks for a 10K. Then you might have like a two-weeks maintenance recovery period. Then you might go for a 16-week marathon plan. So you're, you're, you're mixing up, <coughs> I suppose, recovery training, uh, maintenance and conditioning training, and then event training. And so why is not having a training plan a problem? Well, if we don't have a training plan, we can be overtraining, which means we just keep rolling out the same thing, the same running, which can cause injury because we're overloading our bodies. And ultimately, it affects our performance as well. If we are coming into an event and we've just been rolling out the same amount of work all the time, there's been no method with our build-up, our peaking to be in top form for our race. So ultimately, our performance is going to suffer. We're not giving ourselves rest. We're not building for an event. So, so again, I think you're probably highlighting the, the uh, as we talk about the how to do this, the need for a training plan to be a bit specific in terms of your event. Mm. So it's got to be tailored towards what you're trying to achieve. So if it is just the, the fitness or the maintenance type conditioning training then that becomes the focus that becomes what you're trying to achieve but if it is for an event then again it needs to target in on that so having a training plan that's that's linked to what you're trying to achieve and and so you know if your event is going to be hilly it's going to be trail it's going to be road then you want to incorporate that into your training plan and of course the distances so your your speed work your long runs those kinds of things are all going to be linked. The, the pace which you run them at is going to be linked to what you're trying to do in terms of your, 
performance. And probably the last work on a tra- word on a training plan is it needs to not only focus on what you're trying to achieve, but it needs to be based in where you are today. So uh, no point ad- adopting a training plan that's um, wonderful for running a three-hour marathon if you're entering the training program at the fitness of a five-hour marathon. Um, so a training plan does need to connect where you're at with where you want to get to and be somewhat realistic in terms of what you can do. And I think uh, I'm always reminded that Jeff Galloway says, you know, when you do the test to see where you're at today over a 12 to 16 week training period, you can't really expect to improve more than 3 to 5%. So that's kind of, you've got to then take it in blocks of training plans to to get up to to that that super performance. Okay, um, another mistake that's quite popular or common with uh, run training is lack of a variation. What what does that mean and why is it a problem? Well, it's so easy to just roll out the door for your usual run and whether that's a 5k run, whether that's a 10k run, whatever distance it is, you just roll out, go the same course, over the same surface, uh, same terrain, um, the same distance, and it can start to real well. It impedes your performance because there's no way that your body's sort of adapting to new training or trying something different and growing or stimulating your muscles and your cardio system. But also, it becomes a little bit boring for a lot of people. That is a demotivating way to run. Um, so, if we can get some variation into our workouts, whether it's a little bit of speed, whether it's a little bit of hill training as well, um, vary the distances, the kilometres as well just to sort of stimulate your um, your muscle growth and your cardio system and also the surfaces a lot of people just go out and run on their local footpath rather than maybe heading to a softer terrain to vary the surfaces that they run on and it's great for your muscles to actually have that variation and your joints to have the rest from hard surface so really good to uh, vary your training okay so that kind of takes us on to our our next next one one. which is Mm. uh, a mistake is running on hard surfaces only and so what that means is we often will see people do all their running on concrete sidewalks or footpaths Um, they'll do all their running on a road all their running on even a track Um, and these are the harder kinds of little surfaces which over time um, can you know, lead to injury, make it harder to recovery and and it's kind of a way of uh, shortening your running life. Um, so in order to um, avoid the, the hard surface only then the simple thing is to build into your training plan um, to mix it up a bit, uh, a little bit of track, a little bit of road uh, but if you can the, the gravel trail um, some people live near places where they have grass tracks or grass trails which are in great nick to run on the grass. You've got to be careful because it can be quite uneven sometimes. Uh, and that sort of variation, uh, that sort of softer surface running is really good. And I mean, as a guide, we, we probably do 80% of our running on the um, the gravel trail, mm. uh, the friendly sort of city type trail, which is you can do good speed, you can go, go fast. And you only need you know, about 20% of your time on the harder surface if you're trying to really um, toughen yourself up and prepare for a road race. So, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, good way to add to your to your uh, your longevity and sustainability as a runner. Okay, the the fifth on our list here of training mistakes is poor shoe 
choice and this can come in two parts first of all the, cho the shoe you choose or the shoe that you're continuing to use when it's worn out so mm -hmm. why is poor shoe choice a problem Sue? well it could be that the the shoe that you've chosen because it's the prettiest or the most expensive just doesn't suit your running style and shoe choice is or having good shoes or the shoes that suit you is probably the number one running mistake of runners of all descriptions and persuasions that leads to injury if you've got the wrong shoes then inevitably it will lead to injury and I think the second part of that is also important during training that you just keep running with that might be the right shoe for you but you just keep running with it too long and then start to get little niggles as the shoe itself wears out you start to put more pressure on different parts of your body so you get start to get sore knees or hips even sore back and it might not be that you're training or you're getting an injury it's just your shoes are starting to wear out okay so the ways to avoid the the, the poor shoe uh, challenge or mistake first of all is in terms of the selecting the shoe itself and again it's about going to uh, a store that specializes in uh, running shoes and can then test you and check you to make sure that it's uh, the right shoe for you um, the alternative there is, is a is a a podiatrist again who specializes in working with runners and sports people and they can give you some good advice and they can also then check what you've been advised by the um, sports store they can give you advice before you go as well as uh, afterwards so you're running podiatrist is your friend uh, the next thing then is in terms of replacing and it's a popular question how often do I replace my shoes there isn't a simple answer. Um, wear and tear on a shoe is impacted on the surface that you run on, your um, weight, your biomechanics, the, the way you treat the shoe, the surfaces, the distances, all those kinds of things. And so as a general guide, we should say, and I think it's, it's kind of accepted that four to 500 kilometers is the point where you need to be checking to mm, see how checking. the shoe's going. Yeah. Um, and so um, using, if you're using, um, some of the apps these days, I know that Strava, for example, enables you to track the, the, the amount of distance you run for each shoe. Each workout, you can sign up to a shoe. So if you've got two pairs of shoes, you can just click the button and put it onto the right shoe. So you can get a, gu a guide as to how long that shoe's been, been used. And the other thing to do is to have your next pair of shoes ready and and using the breaking them in, using them a little bit whilst you've got your current main pair, because that will uh, give you a good guide as to wow I put on the new shoe and I can feel a huge difference so that sort of is an indicator that your old shoe the one you've been doing most of your running in is really starting to run out yeah and as a general guideline you know for time to anywhere from around about three months is often a rough guide and look by the time you get to a thousand kilometers in that shoe I'd be getting them checked <laughs> very soon but generally around about 800 is a good time to check okay our next uh, run training mistake is not having a training diary um, lots of uh, challenges here it uh, can detract from your focus it makes it hard to learn hard to look back and see what was working or not working um, in terms of how to avoid the, the training diary so the, the solutions really are in Oh, you can actually use it to write down. You can physically, manually use a pen and keep an actual diary. You can have an app 
that you just record stuff as it as it happens. Um, you mentioned Strava and some of those other programs that do just keep a track record of each run you do, and you can put in a little comment beside that if you want to. Um, so it can be actually just the old-fashioned notebook and pen, or it can be something more high-tech. It's what suits you and your lifestyle. But quick note or a paragraph up to you. It is the beauty these days of, of the apps and particularly things like the, the, say the Sunto and the Garmin watches that they they keep a diary and record of a whole lot of things which you can then make your notes into and then as you say they integrate into things like Strava which gives you a whole different level mm. of in understanding and interpreting the data. Okay, number seven on our list, list of mistakes is overtraining. Now, why is it overtraining a problem? Oh, overtraining inevitably leads to injury or illness but also can lead to lack of motivation, which is more of a, a mental injury or a mental illness, and you actually start to lose the love of running. And uh, probably one way to stop that happening, if you are desperate to exercise, is to get into some cross-training. But part of overtraining or the other side of overtraining to stop it is to put in recovery times and days and get that training plan in place and stick to it. Yes, I, I think you know it's a real problem here because it leads to, as you said, injury, but also illness and fatigue and all that sort of stuff. So the, mm. the quality of the work declines as well as then your ability to, to keep doing it. Um, and I do think the training plan is the key. And, and the way to look at this is that days when you're not running is training, and it's, they are as important. So you get your head around the fact that today I'm not training. In fact, today I am training, and I'm training to be my best as I can as a runner by working hard on a rest day. I'm going to get a massage, I'm going to go for a walk in the water, I'm going to swim, I'm going to do some cross training. So you're actively not run training to avoid overtraining and be a better runner overall. Um, closely linked to the overtraining is our next two and number eight, uh, the mistake uh, mistakes is not cross training. So why yeah, is not cross training this is an interesting one because a lot of runners don't cross train and you know, you start to find some older runners in particular that are getting sore backs or weak hips or my knees starting to go. And look, one of the benefits of cross-training is to develop those muscles within your body that are a little bit weaker than others or that running has caused some to get stronger and others to get weaker in compensation. So cross-training can actually be a really positive thing for your running in terms of building your body to be the strongest it can be. Uh, so you're overcoming weaknesses and just starting to make yourself a, a stronger runner. So it's a po very positive thing to do. can also um, stop that predisposition to overuse injuries by too much running, too much pounding. Um, and it can be a really good part of your training program. And if you put it in your training program, then it becomes a tool of your running rather than a, well, I'm not running, so what am I going to do? So things like that, like the indoor cycling as an example, can, can really, done in a certain way, can help you with your running up hills. Yep. Your yep. Um, yep. yoga and Pilates, Pilates just gives yep. you that overall strength and muscle tone. Um, Better balance as you run, all sorts of things, landing, footfall, landing. All sorts and that, of that bit of muscle building that comes with that can also then be good for you know, burning some more uh, weight. If you're looking to try to get your weight under control, then it helps with the, the muscle burning. I think the other thing about cross-training I just want to quickly say is that um, one of the, the great challenges for running is when you get injured. And invariably, you know, 
most of us do have time from time to time where we do get that injury that puts us out for a while and that's when we start cross training and it's really difficult because I've got a bit of an injury and I'm picking up something new and so when you think about when you first start running or if you've been sick or you haven't run for a while that first month can be taking a bit of a while to get into it before you start to really do the quality workouts well if you're not cross training and all of a sudden you're injured from running and you need to start cross training and you're picking something up from scratch it just you've got that lag period of getting into it whereas if you've been you know indoor cycling or swimming once or twice a week then you're kind of it's ready to to be you know, good quality cross training, which is an added advantage, mm. and you don't hate it as much because you because you're okay at it. Yeah. You're not getting started, so it's kind of a bit of a protection for a rainy day too by by doing your cross training. Uh, the other one here, uh, number nine on the list, is no rest days, and it does flow from our overtraining and our no cross training. And again, we get our head around a rest day is a is a training day because it's part of our training plan and it's helping us be a better runner. Uh, and we're training on, on a rest day by not running, but by by resting. And, and when we say rest, you could be doing some cross training or some, some other types of things, but it's you're working on letting your body recover. And so the reason why we want to, or we, when we need to avoid days where we don't rest or the reason why oh just the over over use injuries um becoming more predisposed to those so by having a rest day also mentally i think it stimulates you to look forward to your run days if you have a rest day uh you're going to feel more excited about going out for your run than if it's oh here i go again i've got to keep the street going i'm i've got to keep running i've got to keep running so i think that uh mentally it just makes us more in love with our running or now, you, want to you, run. you just mentioned one of my my uh, pet topics and that is the streak um, and again particularly with the growth in social media and other things we see the the people uh, with their boast and bravado about you know I've run every day for the last 523 years whatever else you know aren't I wonderful uh, and other people then kind of look at that and think oh well, maybe I should be doing that uh, again the warning is that look it's a wonderful thing if you can run every day for for 30 or 40 years but for most people that is neither practical realistic and it and it's it leads to injury and overtraining and it leads to you know doing silly things like on you know, the day when you should be doing something else you've got to, well, I've got to stop everything i've got to get out and go for a run so if you're a streaker good on you um, but if you're not don't feel that you should be and the rest day for most of us particularly in our early years of running is really important uh, mm. as, as to being sustainable in our running changing tack a little bit with uh, our number 10 on the list of uh, training mistakes and this relates to poor fueling and hydration so why is this a problem Sue? well the likelihood of underperforming in our training if we have poorly fueled or hydrated is increased dramatically particularly if we've been at work um, all day had lunch haven't had a drink been just head down working hard then try and get up and put in a serious workout um, a, a speed session or even a longer run um, anything that's going to challenge us physically we haven't got the energy level there and the likelihood of not being able to achieve our training goals particularly if it is a training program and you're trying to hit times or measurements um, is quite unlikely and with the hydration factor something that we don't prepare for maybe um, and end up feeling 
dizzy, unable to complete the workout, which is, of course, a very disappointing place to be as a runner. So just making sure, and often we do in training, perhaps neglect our fuel and hydration the way that we wouldn't if we were leading into a race. So particularly for your long runs or serious workouts, treat it with respect. I think the, the best the best approach to um, overcoming poor fueling and hydration is is almost to address it as a whole of life issue rather than a run training issue. So, getting your hydration and your healthy eating as something you do all the time, regardless of your run training, is is it makes it much easier than when it comes to the run training specific. So, I know a lot of us can sort of you know, at work. You have a couple of cups of coffee and no, nothing else, or or not drink at all, and and find ourselves easily getting dehydrated. So that whole notion of you know a couple of glasses of water through the day, or you know a drink bottle or something, is a good way to do that. And of course, if you've eaten a reasonably healthy diet, that's going to give you a head start when it comes to the fueling. Now, the last thing we should say here in terms of the hydration, or the, the fuel energy aspect, is um, that by including it in your plan and practicing it, it enables you to be very deliberate about what your strategy is so that you can learn from it and improve it. And this is becoming more important in the context of this whole debate and ongoing conversation about what's the best way to fuel a UA carb reliant or are you a fat adapted type runner you know we we're talking to someone running with them on the weekend and making the point that you you got to be one or the other you've got to be working at one strategy or the other you can't chop and change um, and it might be that you're working at being a carb reliant runner and in time you'll discover that's not the way for you but the only way you're going to discover that is by giving it your best shot by having it in your plan and working at it and then learning what's working and not working. Similarly, if you're trying the, the fat-adapted strategy and it's just not working after doing all the right things over six months, then, again, by being deliberate and having it in your plan, you can then change and do something different. Okay, number 11 on our list of um, running mistakes or run training mistakes um, and how to avoid them is ignoring injury. Yes. Uh, quite often we are inclined, and I'll put my hand up for this one, that you've got a slight injury. You can feel it. It's there's something not quite right with a, a joint or a muscle, but you think, oh look, I can still run. I'm not I'm not incapacitated, and you go out and run, and you keep running, and inevitably that little niggle becomes more chronic more of a problem until you get to the point where you can't run you've ignored that injury so the a couple of ways of treating that is to try and either take a little bit of rest early if you do feel something's not quite right get it right give yourself time to recover if it's uh, an overuse thing that's starting to build up or go to your local physio or sports specialist and get some treatment or at least find out what the pain is and whether it's likely to get worse or whether you can fix the problem by just resting. Yeah, we often talk about uh, you know adopting a physio, and that is what we mean by that is um, going finding somebody who specialises or works with runners and sports people, and going to them when consistently whenever you think you've got an injury or you have got an injury, and so that they get to know your body, they get to know how to treat you, they need to keep you going, 
and help you with the right cross training and all those sorts of things. When you change around and you go to a different person each time, it's like starting over, you know, you've got to get to know them, they've got to get to know you. So when you find someone you like and you trust, stick with them. I think the other thing on ignoring injury, there are two real danger phases, I reckon, when you're a new runner and you don't understand the different types of sorenesses. And so you either take every bit of soreness as an injury and you stop and you and you, you then see a, a non-special, a non-sports person who says, oh, yeah, don't run because if it hurts kind of thing, and you might mix that up. So in the early days, knowing what's an injury and not is an injury is a problem, and it either leads to you stopping running when you shouldn't or leads you to running through and getting seriously hurt. So that's in the early phases. And then the other one which... For many of, I think for many of our listeners and, and many of the regular runners who've been at it for a few years, becomes I think even harder, and that is once you've been at it for a long time and you've run through a lot of the niggles and the general sort of uh, delayed onset soreness and all that sort of stuff, you can your your kind of pain threshold, your ability to keep going gets in the way, and you ignore what sh- what's the danger signs of a serious injury, and then you turn something that was going to be minor into a major in- yeah, injury. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying happens to me. And so things like uh, Achilles injury, plantar fascia, um, they're common ones that are converted from, could have been nipped in the bud into serious long-term injuries because uh, you've just got got used to the workload, you can tolerate a lot of pain and you're not aware of quite what's going on. So yeah. it comes back to you having a good therapist that you can go to relatively, um, for a, almost like a checkup, and, you know, often for a good checkup is better than being out and not running for months and all that sort of stuff. So when in doubt, check it out. Yep, definitely. I think number 12 is another one that I'll put my hand up that is one of my common training mistakes, and that is ignoring illness. Acknowledge you're sick. Uh, You know, if if you are with a heavy cold, if you've got a flu, if you've got a temperature... One day off your running or your training, even if it's cross-training that you've got to miss, can really help your body recover. Your The energy that you've got in your system gets put into fighting the bug, not trying to train and fight the bug. Because what happens with this, with this situation is that your illness can get a lot worse. Instead of taking one day off, you could end up missing a week, maybe even two weeks, maybe longer if it becomes a chronic infection that really needs to lay off so taking that early rest recognizing you're sick uh, if you've got to take medication respect that you're taking the medication to try and get yourself well and just allow your body to recover um, physically itself don't worry about your muscles for a day or two just get yourself well I think uh, but with both injury and illness and ignoring them it's a bit like the, the no rest day kind of thing people can sometimes get caught up in the whole bravado, you know, ego, macho kind of thing of, aren't I wonderful, I'm, I'm training when I'm sick, or aren't I wonderful, I'm training when it's, you know, lightning, or I'm whatever else. And these are like the dumbass kinds of things. These are, it's, 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 it's like the, the hardest thing to do is to not train when you shouldn't. It's easy to just keep on going along and thinking you're wonderful, and, and actually that's, that's the big trap. And so um, getting the confidence and, and sense to know when not to um, is, is is probably one of the, the great overlooked, uh, under-recognised skills for runners. You know, you, 
the old you got to know when to hold them, you got to know when to fold them, you got to know when to walk away, and you got to know when to run. And, mm. and if it's injury and illness, then knowing knowing when to walk away and, and take the day off is is very important. Um, we're up to number thirteen on our list of uh, training or common training mistakes, and this one is for those with the event goal. Uh, working towards an event, and that is not rehearsing for your event. So not using your training days to rehearse for your event. And so what we mean here specifically is um, not training in the clothing you're going to wear in your race, not training you know, at the pace that you're going to run in your race, not training on the terrain surfaces that you're going to run in your race, not using the hydration and energy in your race. And the reason why these things are important is that they impact on your performance, they impact on your enjoyment, they create extra problems that, that then lead to making rush decisions and things you have not prepared for, and it all kind of spirals down to a less than satisfactory performance, less enjoyable than it should be. And on the positive note, it gives you then more confidence that you've got the right clothes, I'm all good with that, um, you've got the right food, you've got the right outlook, um, you've trained on the surface. So it just gives you the confidence as well. So uh, it sets you up for a good day. Now the way to avoid this is comes back specifically to your training plan. So your training plan is going to incorporate those things like the speed you need to run at the terrains, the, the uh, amount of ascent you're going to build in and all that sort of stuff. So that's one part of it. But the other thing is to use your training plan, if it's you know, 10, 16 week, whatever it is, to map in advance the run training runs in which you are going to go, you know, full dress rehearsal, um, this is the run I'm going to use my whole outfit that I'm going to do the race in. You know, I might be using my same shoes and socks every event, every training run. I'm going to have these couple of long runs or these couple of fast runs where I'm going to be using exactly the gear that I'm going to run in. Going to run, if I need a pack for a trail race, I'm going to have the pack on for these training runs. So you put that in your training plan so you're prepared for it, you're built up for it. Similarly with you know, the full meal, the, the training run, doing your training run at the time of your race. Put them all into your training plan so it's not a surprise and you can then build up to it and you can actually prepare and, and, and hit the targets in terms of your rehearsing for your event. Okay, we're down to our last two, Sue. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a, it's hard to, to put the title on this one, uh, number 14. Uh, we've gone with no or no mentoring. Uh, and what this kind of really is all about is training in isolation without other perspectives, without other information, without learning, without looking at different options and ways of doing things. And so in simple terms, we don't know what we don't know. So if you think that you're just going to start out and do it all yourself, then you might have some real fundamental flaws in your thinking which has a negative impact um, you know, it could lead you to having a, a dodgy a really dodgy training plan that's just not appropriate for what you're trying to do so this general mentoring clause helps us avoid being ill-informed helps us avoid making many of these uh, mistakes now when we talk, talk about not mentoring or, or not taking in other information there are lots of different ways which we can take in and learn and get different perspectives and ultimately we've got to judge you know is it the right coach or the right approach but 
to open ourselves up to different perspectives. So what might be a couple of ways that we can uh, learn and get in outside info to help us with our training? Well, I think the one of the, the best the beauties of being part of a running community or social media, which, again, you've got to be careful of when you do ask the question, but finding a mentor, someone that has got an experienced background that you trust and admire is probably a good way of looking at it, uh, that you can ask some questions about different aspects of both your run training, your, the event you might be thinking of, clothing, all sorts of different options. And again, remember it is an opinion, it's not gospel, and I think that's where a lot of people do fall down is they ask a question of someone and then they believe it 100% and they think that there's no other options. But we can go to books. Of course, the coach. If you've got, if you are taking on a run coach, you kind of got to trust them because they're giving you your training plan, and you don't want to jump off their training plan halfway through. So you've really committed yourself to trust a coach. But it could be a run group that you're a part of as well, and get some opinions. And again, they are opinions. Yep. So I think you know, this notion of you know a mentor can be a book. You, know, like, mm-hmm. you, know, you would say for us that for many years Jeff Galloway were, was like our running mentor even before we met Jeff. You don't even, you can have a, a, a mentor that you don't actually meet, but if you're following their books, their guidance, their their training and their principles, that can work as well. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's a good way good way to go about it. But which as we said here, that ultimately you've got to learn yourself and start to take it in. And one of the, the challenges here that people can often make is. Um, sometimes we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what the right questions to ask. So when we ask, we sometimes solve the wrong problem by by thinking we know what we need to do. Um, and so it's like, you know, as an example, my question, I, I keep running out of energy. So my question is, what's the best form of, say, um, energy gel for me to buy? And so we just start asking people, what energy gel should I buy? What energy gel should I buy? Um, but that may well be the wrong question. We might be a person who doesn't respond well to energy gels. It might be about lack of sleep or the or the the, the training. It could be all these sorts of things. So the reason a, a mentor and and other people to talk to is important is you let them into the context of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, because then they can identify first of all what might be the problems and then find the right solutions. Because often we spend time solving the wrong problem if that makes sense and if if that's that's a little bit can be a little bit complicated how to get a head around sometimes but we need to uh, work with others to set the context so we can identify what the real problems are not with what we think they might be because as I said we often don't know what we don't know and we define the, the problem the wrong way so that's an important aspect of that now last but not least in terms of our training mistakes is uh, not uh, not learning or not regularly reviewing what we're doing. And this is a problem because... Well, we don't learn. We can keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. Whereas if we do review our runs and we can try and rectify some of these mistakes, we're going to ultimately perform better and enjoy our running as well as being physically fitter, fresher and less injured too. So... The solution here very much is around training ourselves in in what we talk about is the after-action review or the runner's review. Um, So it's learning about what was meant to happen, what did happen, why did it work or not work, and what will we do different. So it's like that learning cycle 
Uh, you know, a lot of people in, in sort of you know organisations and different places will talk about quality cycles and that thing of you know plan, do, review, revise that that kind of a thing. So we need to get good at that, and it's a skill which we can bring from other parts of our life, or we can develop in our running and then use it in other parts of our life. Um, a mentor or a coach. Um, can be very good at this and sometimes the people that can help you with this in terms of the learning process um, they can either be um, content or process type people so they don't even need to be a runner in some some cases mm, to say definitely. okay so what was your plan you know what worked what didn't work they can just ask you the questions to help you think it through uh, the best people are those who can do both they can can lead you through the process and then help you with the content by asking the next level of questions and then there are some people who are just great about you know this is all this is what I did it didn't work what do you reckon what are my alternatives why might this have happened and why could it be done differently so um, no reviewing is a big big mistake and, and really helps us be sustainable avoid doing things the second time around and for most of us we are going to learn the hard way you know that stress fracture that you get the first time you, once you've been through it, you're kind of aware of some of the symptoms and the and the signals and the things to look out for, so you can avoid it in the future. Uh, that, you know, running out of energy or not hitting your goal because you had the wrong training pl- program. Once you've done it, you go, "Oh, that didn't work," and now I got an understanding why. The old notion that sometimes the um, you know, the teacher appears when the student's ready. Sometimes we've got to make the mistake to set ourselves up to be able to learn from it and get it right beyond that. So that is our uh, fifteen. Uh, Training mistakes and how to avoid them. In quick recap, no goal, no training plan, no variation, uh, running only on hard surfaces, poor shoe choice, no training diary, overtraining, no cross training, no arrest days, uh, poor fuel and hydration, ignoring injury, ignoring illness, not rehearsing for our event, not uh, having a, a mentor or outside information, and not reviewing what we're doing. 15 mistakes and uh, gone through how to resolve them if you've got any questions or not clear on any of them just uh, Facebook uh, partner running or drop us an email at info at partnerrunning.com and happy to provide some clarity or some more information or in most of those cases to point you at um, a more detailed conversation maybe it's an episode of the partner running show or a blog post or some other resources to actually explore each of those topics at the next next level of detail and so uh, so we must be coming close to the end of another show. I just need to queue us up for our final segment, which, here we go. I've got my console skills not as good as they should be, and here we go. The Road Ahead. Join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events. Well, I mentioned the first one, the Dendy Park Urban Trail, which is where we are going to be next weekend on Sunday, March the 1st. Uh, also in Australia on Sunday, March the 1st, is the Orange Running Festival, Orange Colour City Running Festival, and uh, that's up in New South Wales. But around the world, you've got Highlands Trout Marathon, which is very weird, in Lesotho in Africa. In Africa. It's a bit fishy to me. It does. And and to be in Lesotho too. Uh, Kiel in Germany. Lantelauf in Germany. The Nestle Bar One Buffalo Marathon also in South Africa. Got some good names there this weekend. Phoenix in the US. 
the Q50 in Louisiana, Razorback Endurance in California, Richland Run in Washington, Surat Night Marathon in India, uh, Woodlands in Texas, the Baikal Ice Marathon in Russia, Cambridge Boundary in the UK, Cowtown in Texas, Erga Antalaya in Turkey, Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, um, we have Lake Biwa in Japan, Lake Nakoma in California, Little Rock in Arkansas, Magalhaes in Spain, Treasure Coast in Florida, the Trail de Volcane in France, Trevisio in Italy, the Lala Marathon in Mexico, Napa Valley, very popular one in California, Sasayama in Japan, the Staining Stinger in the UK, the Army Marathon in Texas, the X12 Dark Run in Sabah in Malaysia, and Zydeco in Louisiana. And they are some of the marathons, a lot of other littler, littler events, smaller events, and longer events, some ultras around the world as well, of course. Yes, lots of uh, lots of things happening, and I do note with a bit of interest that uh, a lot of people based in South Africa are zeroing in on their comrades' qualifiers, mm. but not just in South Africa. Um, I mean, Gary, our mate from uh, up Terrigal Way, was down at Wangaratta running his comrades' qualifier on the weekend. But it is um, it is the, the sort of the focus for a lot of people heading off to comrades for the 90th anniversary on June the first. Uh, I think. The substitution period's coming up, so if you think, oh, still time to train up and get in there and you want to go to the comrades whilst entries are closed, substitution is your way in. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of people running their comrades qualifiers, so all the best for people running the comrades qualifiers. Read a great article by Bruce Fordyce, the, the legend of the comrades and nine-time winner, uh, pointing out to people that, you know, in, in the up run from Durban to Peter Maritzburg, you know, don't stress if you're one corral behind where you think you, you could have been. Most of the sort of the corrals are like 20-minute type seating things. And so if you, in say our case, you know, we didn't, and we're not in the shape to go under 340 in the marathon, um, but we find for going under four hours. So we're going to be in D corral, not C corral. And his point is that for the, particularly for the uprun, the road is quite wide. People can run freely really quickly so don't beat yourself up or overly stress about the fact that you didn't get one more corral up it's not going to make a big difference to your time still get the best qualifier you can but you know if you're one one corral below where you really thought you should have been then there are other things to worry about and it's not going to be a biggie on race day indeed so on that note uh, that's the end of another partner running show thank you very much Sue for another great Ask Sue and uh, taking us through the news and uh, all the other wonderful things you do every week we'll um, wish everybody a great week of running and see you next week on the partner running show thank you indeed and I've done it again where's my button there it is you're listening to the partner running show with your hosts Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine.